My wife is 81. I'm 80. And we've been married a long time. We don't discuss divorce. We've never discussed divorce, but murder um, <laughs> has come up in conversations on a number of occasions. But um, it's just been a joy to be married to her and um, 48 years and, and counting. But what I love is that some people think when you get older, and we're not old, we're older, but when we get older, we have a lot more smarts than, um, than a lot of people who haven't lived as long. And so I take advantage of that. And I remember um, uh, this, this doctor who had been a farmer for, this farmer who had been a, a farmer for years decided, he says, I, I think I can do better being a doctor. And so he decided he'd go into practice. And so he called his practice Dr. Earl, who could fix anything. And uh, the doctor who had been to school for a long time, he really got perturbed at that. And so the first day he went to see um, what was going on. And he said, um, he said to the doctor, he says, I've lost taste. He says, I can, I can restore your taste for 500 bucks. And he said, well, okay, go ahead. And he said, to his nurse, he says, would you look in drawer number nine and bring me that little vial? And, and um, she did, and he poured some of that and touched it on this guy's tongue. He says, that's gasoline. He said, well, you got your taste back. <laughs> so he was a little disturbed. <laughs> and then um, he came back two weeks later, and he says, uh, I've lost my memory. Can you help me with that? And he says, sure. He said, um, $500, he paid him the $500, and he said, uh, would you look in that drawer, drawer number nine, and bring me the, he says, no, no, that's gasoline. He said, well, you got your memory back. And so uh, he was a little bit disappointed at that. And so finally, he came back again. He says, I'm not seeing like I need to see, and he says, I can't do anything about that. He says, and uh, he says, here's your money back. It's uh, $1,000, and the guy counted it, and he said, that's only $800. He says, well, you got your sight back. Give me my money. So, so the thing is, is that I think it's important. Don't mess with old people, all right? Just because they will take your stuff. This is Clarence Grant. Uh, he's the guy who... He's a good son. And uh, he is that way because he's married to this really great woman named Pam, and she keeps him straight, and it's, it's a full-time job. <laughs> All right, join the hand. Well, don't join the hand. I don't like to join hands in prayer because you just never know where people have been with their hands, and so <laughs> I do. I go to men's rooms a lot, and I just, I just see guys walk straight out of the place, and they just say, oh, man, and then they'll see you and say, hey, how you doing? I said, mm, yeah, give me your elbow, just... Some of you guys act like you don't know what I'm talking about, but I've seen you. So just, just link arms with somebody and just say, Father, tonight I want this person to get all you have for them and don't hold anything back. Amen. Say it with me. I actually can't say it with me because you don't know what I'm going to say. So say it after me. God's got this. Say it again, God's got this. <clears throat> now, it doesn't make any difference what it is. God's got it. And so, my title is Cognitive Dissonance 
and suspended skepticism. Cognitive dissonance and suspended skepticism. Let me just give you a definition for cognitive dissonance if I can find it here. I know it's in my notes. Let me just read it to you. I, I, I love this. Cognitive dissonance is inconsistency. It's holding two thoughts that are inconsistent with the other. It must be addressed by a word from God. I needed an answer. Why would God let people treat me like this? This is not justice. I tried to appeal the decision, but the door was shut. When God shuts the door, he opens another one. Would you say that, please? I had a friend who had just been fired from a contemporary Christian recording company, and if I mention the name of it, many of you would remember it. <clears throat> and he called me one day and he said, uh, he said, I just lost my job. And I said, well, you really didn't. He says, well, I got fired. I said, no, you didn't get fired. He says, well, why do I feel fired? I said, because you keep saying I'm fired. He said, what should I say? Well, say, say, say I'm in transition. He said, okay. He said, I'm in transition. What does that mean? I said, it means you're fired. <laughs> and I said these words. I said, when God shuts a door, he opens another door. He said, he said, another Christian just said that to me. And I said, what did he say? He said, when God shuts the door, he opens another door, but it's hell in the hallway. I don't know if you've ever been in the hallway, but you're often in the hallway because of something that's going on in your life that you anticipated or didn't anticipate. You welcomed it, but you didn't welcome it. You knew it was coming, but you didn't know it was coming. But it's like life happens. And when life happens, a lot of things go along with that. And as I was reading in the scriptures one morning, just having a, a moment of quiet time in my private chamber, sometimes the closet chamber, uh, and I'm reading from this wonderful text in Isaiah. That's how you say it around here, right? Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to say Isaiah and Isaiah, but you guys will know what I'm talking about. But I want you to look at it with me, please, in Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 7, and listen very carefully. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, and this is from the NIV translation, and that's very important because it's the only translation that reads exactly like this one. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. They could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sheer Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful. Say that, please. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Why is it I think there are only people on that side speaking and that side speaking? I mean, it's kind of like, I don't hear anybody here in front of me. Are you guys here? Yeah. All right, so nobody painted an audience. Wow. All right, so say, everybody say with me, be careful. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. All right, we're still, some people are still holding back, and I want you to know you're holding up the whole message. 
Everybody say, be careful. Be careful. All right, use your outside voice. Keep calm. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do, not Do not lose heart. He says, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of reason, Aram and the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. Now, if you don't remember anything else that I say, it will be pathetic. But this you need to remember. And here's what he said. This is what Isaiah, the prophet, said to the king. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Repeat, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Tell that to someone next to you, just look at him, just say, he told me to do it. All right, just say, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. <clears throat> I was sharing with the earlier service about two of my sons who were going through their own particular challenges in life, and of course, they were inviting us to join them. And uh, I wasn't particular about joining them in it, but they're our kids, and so you have to join them. And one of them was experimenting with marijuana, and we didn't know that, and it was having effects on the way he saw life and the way he did life. And he had a problem with anger. And so someone asked us, so how are your kids doing? And, and we used to say they're working on their testimony, when in reality, they were working on my testimony. And I had a dream about the youngest one, and the youngest one was standing in my, in this dream, he's standing in the doorway of my bedroom, and he had this angry countenance, and he was saying, beat me, beat me, go ahead and beat me. And that dream became literally fulfilled one day when he asked if he could go to a graduation party that was going to start at 11 o'clock that night. And I told him, no good parties start at 11. He said, but dad, everybody's going to be there. And I looked at him and I said, not everybody. <laughs> and that's when, you know, you know how they say it. That's, that's, that's when the fight started. I was holding on to him. And I heard him say these words, beat me, beat me. Go ahead and beat me. And my wife said, honey, that's your dream, let him go. And I did, and he decided that he would go and live on his own. In that moment, it was devastating because I am a, I'm, at that time, I'm part of a group of people who say, if you can't manage your kids, how can you manage the house of God? And, and I began to feel really depressed about that. And the problem with being depressed about not being able to manage your kids or being good to them or whatever, I thought, you know, the best father in the world was God Almighty to Adam. And Adam had no excuse for doing what he did. 
So if Adam can do something contrary to the best father in the world, I need to just stop feeling really bad about some of this stuff. These guys were, they were attacking my Judah. My wife and I, we saw that again and again. They were coming after our praise. And look, there's some things that are going on where you got to praise God. It's called the sacrifice of praise. It's just something that you do because you have to do it. And David said it like this. I refuse to offer God something that will cost me nothing. So sometimes you got to pay for your praise. You have to pay the price to say, Jesus, I love you. I bless your name, God. You're such a good, good father. And he hears you and then he lets you stay in it two more years. What I couldn't see was that this same kid years later would be a part of our church in Pittsburgh. He would be on staff. He would be one of the elders. He would have a prophetic voice. Couldn't see any of that because I was too busy wasting one of the most creative things that God has given to us called imagination. And it's terrible to use imagination to impregnate your worry. What are you worried about? And you can imagine all kinds of stuff, but don't use your imagination for that. Use your imagination to believe that God can do anything he promises that you do. It's this problem that you have because God is saying things to you about what he's going to do. And he's saying to, to me, don't be afraid. This is not the time to be afraid. What you are concerned about, and this is what he says to Ahaz, and what he's saying to me, and what I'm saying to you, he says, the thing that you are concerned about at this very moment isn't even going to happen. It's not going to happen. But the problem is that the enemy, is a, he's, he's such an incredibly creative person, and he can create a picture and draw a picture for you and you'll look at it and say, yeah. Now, here's where cognitive dissonance comes. It comes because God says something to you and your mind says, but that's not right. It's not right. And, you, and God says, but it is right. My wife and I were participating in a fundraising for our church and, uh, and so they asked us to pledge. And so we pledged a certain amount of money and and, um, and I said, God, I want to get, we want to give this. And so he said, give it. And I said, now I'm going to take a third, a 90 day note. And at the end of the 90 days, the money has to be paid. He says, you'll have it. And I said, okay, Barbara and I went for it. As the days came closer, the money, all the money wasn't there. And I said, God, where's the money? He says, you have it. I said, not yet. He says, no, you have it. Now here's the problem. If God says you have it, you can't tell God you don't have it. Well, you can, but it's not going to work. I said, God, I don't have it. And so he says, you have it. And I said, well, well, where is it? He says, it's not important where it is. It's important that it is. I said, okay, that sounds good. I can preach on that later, but I need the money right now. Just, just where's the money? And he kept telling me we had it and we had it. And the deadline came and went and I had to borrow more money to pay it. And I said, God, what happened? He says, you have it. And I said, God, I just don't believe I have it. He says, you're going to believe you or me. Right now, 
I'm real close to me, but I know you don't lie. I do, under pressure. It's an abomination before God, but uh, it's a great thing to get you out of trouble. He says, you have it. I said, yes, I have it. But I don't feel like I have it. He says, you have it. Just tell me you have it. I have it. You know what confession of faith is? It's telling God something you really don't believe. <laughs> he knew I didn't believe it, but he didn't require me to believe it as much as he required me to say it. And I've learned this principle. You have to say what God tells you to say so you can see what God tells you you're going to see. I say it like this. You have to say what you hear so you can see what you said. And he kept telling me, you have it. Two months later, my wife said to me, you're going to go back north. You want to take your coat with you? And I said, yes. And she said, empty the pockets. And so I went into the pockets, and one of the pockets had a little hole, and I reached down into the lining, and there was a piece of paper that had been folded up, handed to me when I left a, a meeting two months prior to that, before the due date for the loan. And inside that folded piece of paper was a check with the money in it. I had it. I just didn't know I had it. It was hanging in a closet. I had it all the time. And God was saying, you have it. And I, I, I had to learn how to say, I have it. I don't know where it is, but I just know that it is. Say it like this. My comprehension. Now, everybody has to say this because if you don't, it's not going to work for all of us. So my comprehension is not a prerequisite to my cooperation. See, I don't have to comprehend to cooperate. If God says, don't be afraid, stand in your faith, this thing isn't going to happen. You got to say, this thing isn't going to happen. My wife and I were in a meeting, and I don't know what we were going through, but we were having, we weren't arguing, we were, but we were having an intense time of fellowship. And... Um, and she kept telling me for some reason, she said, it's going to be all right, honey. It's going to be all right. She kept saying, she just said it one time too many. And I said, oh, honey, you know it's going to be all right. And we're, we're, we're in the green room getting ready to go into the service. And this guy said to me, he said, uh, all right, you guys want to go in now? And I said, yes. But she said, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And I said, honey, you know, she says, it's going to be all right. Honey. She's a prophet. I didn't know that either. So we get inside, and this guy was leading worship, and he was saying, I just feel like we need to close this, the, our worship set with this song. And he started playing. He started playing. Didn't I tell you? You've got to be a Mikey, okay? Uh, didn't I tell you it would be all right? I told you it would be all right. He told me to tell you it would be all right. And I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking, now she's standing right next to me. She's a little shorter than me, so I had to do the eye-to-eye -eye thing. I, I won't even look at her. Because she had told me it's going to be all right. When God says it's going to be all right, you know what? It's going to be all right. And he wants you to understand that because essentially what he's saying to you, you're struggling with where the money is, but I've got it. 
I've got it. I've got this. God, I've got a challenge with my health. He says, I've got that too. I've got a challenge with my building project. I've got that too. There are some things that God's got. You can't see that he's got it, but he wants you to believe that he's got it. And in spite of what you see, you got to say, God's got this. Somebody shout it. Now, Clarence has a friend who had a really large dog, a large dog. And, and that dog had a way of, you know how large dogs sound large when they bark? It's like that. And his owner would say, whenever he would do that, she would say, use your inside voice. And the dog would say, what? Once in a while, church, you need to use your outside voice. And instead of saying, well, God's got this. No, you got to say, God's got this as loud as you can. Go ahead. God's got this. Yes. God's got it. And you're trying to sort it out and you're trying to figure out, God, you have this. Yes. Where is it? He said, that's my business. Well, what do you want me to do? He said, just celebrate me. Just tell me how good I am. How successfully I've hidden things from you. That you can't find them even though I've hidden them right in front of you. And so I say, God's got this. God's got this. There are moments when it looks like I'm absolutely surrounded. I'm kind of like Elisha's servant who got up one morning and saw the whole city. Not just their little little house where they were, but the whole city was surrounded by an army that was intent on killing both of them. When somebody sends an army for two guys, they feel threatened. One chases a thousand. You know the end of that quote? One chases a thousand. Come on. Two put didn't you all know that verse? That's in the Old Testament. And it's not in the New Living Translation either. <laughs> well, yes, it is. One chases down, two put 10,000 to flight. So they're surrounded. When the servant gets up, he looks out and he just says, all right, we're going home. He thinks it's over. And he comes and he wakes up Elisha and he says, sir, you need to see this. And Elisha comes out and he says, what's the problem? And he sees the same thing that this guy sees. And he says to him, see that? And he says, here's what Elisha said. Fear not. Fear not. I have found in the Bible, whenever it says, fear not, it's already too late. Don't tell me not to fear. Tell me why and how I should stop fearing. Fear not. And then he makes this incredible statement. Those who are with us, are more than those who are with them. And he says, okay, we got a little cognitive dissonance going on here. Now, here's the problem. Cognitive dissonance is one thing. Suspended skepticism is the other thing. It's the problem that you have when you take a, a skeptic to a, a classical movie uh, uh, like like the Dawn Treader or like those kinds of movies where you got this wonderful stuff going on and the sea comes up and it looks like a person, a lion can talk, trees can talk, 
and you have creatures and guys will look at you and they say, those things don't exist. And you say, it's only a movie. Get out of here. You can't enjoy a movie when a skeptic is sitting next to you. Superman can't fly. When Muhammad Ali was on a plane flying from Amsterdam back to New York, the flight attendant said, put on your seatbelt, Mr. Ali. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, Superman don't need no plane. Put your seatbelt on. All right. So, so part of our need is understand. All right. Some of these things you'll miss and uh, just get the, the podcast or whatever it is you do here. But he's looking at the problem and you and I are looking at the problem and Superman is flying and Lois Lane is hanging off of this skyscraper and he comes up, up and he catches her and he says, don't worry, Miss Lane, I've got you. And she said, but who's got you? In movies, you can't enjoy him unless you suspend your unbelief. In life with serving God, you can't enjoy him unless you suspend your unbelief. If God says there are more with us than there are with them, you gotta say yes. Yeah, yeah, God. And once in a while, because God knows you're not going to believe it unless he gives you some evidence, Elijah prays a simple prayer. Lord, open his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he looks out and he sees another army surrounding the army. So you got that army, which is a physical army, and you have another army that's a spiritual army, and then you have another army that's a spiritual army as well. Those who are with us, say that please. Say those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Two kinds of those. The those who are motivating your adversary and the those who are on your side that you can't see. Because it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by you. So even though the purse is gone, the praise is still here. The insides are gone, but the worshiper is still here. And the God who restores, the God who gives you things in ways that you could never. Sometimes you have made an investment and you're saying, God, I need to double my, no, I need to, no, God, I need to sevenfold my money. He says, all right, then I need to get something stolen from you. You say, why? Because once the thief is discovered, he must restore sevenfold. Wow. Ah. Ah. I never died of that. So when you are going through it, even though it's sacrificial, though it costs you, you're worshiping and you're praising God. And you say, well, why are you doing that? And you say, this is how I find my battles. 
This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my... This is how. This is how... Try it. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is how I find my battles. This is... Come on. This is how I... Use your outside voice. This is how I find my back. This is how. Now listen. It may look like I'm surrounded. Now listen. I'm I'm changing something here. And I'm going to go left and you're going to go right. And we won't meet again. It may look like I'm surrounded, but my God's got this. It may look like I'm surrounded, but my God's got this. It may look like This is how, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how, come on. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm going under, but God's got this. It may look like I'm going under, but my God's got this. Come on. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Well, you say, is it that easy? Well, it is when you're not doing the work. Because here's what he says. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And if it's troublesome to you, then you need to know you're doing too much, and you need to let me have a little more. So, you guys okay with standing? All right, because I'm almost done. Uh, well, not quite. Uh, I, 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 why don't you see for a minute? The difference between 
standing in faith and wobbling can simply be the ability to worship in the face of contradictory circumstances. You're looking at it and just saying, I don't know if this is going to work. What am I going to do? Let's worship. Let's worship. When everything fails, worship. Jehoshaphat is surrounded by hundreds of thousands of soldiers who have opposed him and they're coming after him. And somebody says something like that. Bad news is inevitable sooner or later. And when bad news happens, no one comes up to you and says, I've got some really bad news for you. They scream it. They get about 300 people to join them and say, everybody in the world is coming after you. And the Bible says his heart was filled with fear. And they begin to praise God. And he began to fast and call out to God. And then a prophet. Somebody say a prophet. Say a prophet. Here's what I believe about prophecy. Prophecy is a spiritual insight. It's a spiritual insight that, that positions you for success if you will listen to it. And so the prophet comes and he says, he says it like this. You won't need to fight in this battle. Really? He says, that's right. He says, tomorrow, go against them. Go down. And he's going to fight for you. One of my favorite expressions is fitted in a phrase that goes like this. Tomorrow, about this time, things are going to change. Elisha said it to the king of Israel when they were in a famine and their people were so hungry they were eating their kids. And then here comes this prophet, Elisha, and he says, tomorrow about this time, food is going to be so plenteous. And this guy said, that's eh, not gonna happen. And here's what I believe. When God tells you something's gonna happen tomorrow, don't use your imagination to dismiss it. Use your imagination to enrich it. Because we say, tomorrow about this time. I mean, like that. It's just. Yeah. I feel like I'm feel like I'm feel like at home right here. Don't take me too quick now. Just I want to just enjoy this moment. Say tomorrow, about this time, things are going to change. Can you imagine? You're looking at something and you're just saying, "How long? How much longer can we?" And God says, "Can you hang on for 24 hours?" Anybody can hang on for 24 hours. He says, tomorrow about this time, things are going to change. Tomorrow, I'm just kind of singing it, Clarence. Just, no, no, there ain't no rhythm in there. Just, just. (laughs) 
Tomorrow about this time Things are gonna change Tomorrow about this time Things are gonna change Cause I believe my change is coming I believe my change is coming I believe my change is coming Right now I believe my change is coming Put a little bit of soul in there. Come on, just say, I believe my change is coming. Make, make it a longer coming, all right? Come on. I believe my change is coming. I believe my change is coming. I believe my change is coming right now. Can you help them with that? All right. I believe my change is coming. Change is coming. I believe my change is coming right now. Whoa! I believe my change is coming. I believe my change is coming. I believe a change is coming right now. Why? Because tomorrow about this time. Say it again. Tomorrow about this time. Tomorrow about this time. Things are gonna change. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow about this time. Tomorrow about this time Tomorrow about this time Things are gonna change So what happened? Later on when they're asking Jehoshaphat Well, what? he says, well, what had happened? was that when we started praising God, everything changed. Because when they got the prophetic word, like I got the prophetic word, unless you stand firm in your faith, you won't stand firm at all. You won't stand at all. I realize you can't stand unless you're worshiping. You can't stand unless you're praising. You can't stand unless you're giving him the glory. No matter what's taking place, you got to stand. You got to take that and you got to keep looking. And when everybody says, whatever is going on, you got to say, but God's got this. Somebody say, God's got this. So, Jehoshaphat is emboldened with this word. Tomorrow, you will need to fight. And he gets on his face and he says, if you believe the Lord, you will be established. If you believe the prophets, you will succeed. And then he says, now I need some really good singers. I need the good singers, the good worshipers. I need the, I need the 18. He says, y'all go out and here's your, here's your new war song. And they said, we're ready. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Okay, that sounds good. All right, what's the bridge? For the Lord is good, 
and his mercy endures forever. Okay, now where's the part where we, you know, where we go after the enemy and we start kicking his butt? You know what I'm saying? He says, yes, here's this part. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Is, is that all there is to that song? You have no idea what's in that. That God is good and his mercy endures forever. And he told me to tell you that tomorrow about this time, things are going to change. And they started going out. For the Lord is good. Mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. Come on, stand with me. And his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures the Lord is good. Hey! And his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good. And his mercy forever. And then what you got to realize is that now we are at this time instead of tomorrow. Now we're here. And they said, all right, let's go fight him. And when they get up to the top of the hill, God's already fallen. And it's already over. And God is looking at them. He says, but didn't I tell you I've got this? Sometimes the only way you will see that God's got it is if you look in a different direction and look at the God who made you the promise in God. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm going under, but my God's got this. See how he got that? He, did, he didn't even know it was coming. <laughs> you guys have no idea that you're already on the winning side. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. Shout it out. Louder. I believe it's not just a word. I believe it's a decree. It's a declaration. And some things you have to say in order to see it. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Nobody has heard the sound of an abundance for rain for three and a half years. And here comes a guy. And he begins to say, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. But then he has to pray it in. And he says, go look, go look. Someone needs to say, God's got this. 
See, God's got this. Whatever it is that you think is controlling your world and your destiny, you need to begin to declare, God's got it. God's got it. Well, what happened to that? God's got it. Where's that purse? God's got it. Where's that car? God's got that. Where's that four-stage cancer? God's got that. About a month ago, a guy came to our church. First time he'd ever been there. Fourth-stage cancer. And they didn't know if he's going to make it or not. Pastor Barbara and the team prayed for him. Two days later, he called back and said, just came back from the doctor. They can't find any cancer. Because what are you worried about that God already has? What are you concerned about? When I put my money in the bank, I don't worry about whether or not it's there. I'm, I content myself. Well, do you know it's there? No, I'm just, I'm celebrating its existence. Link with somebody again. Just do that. Don't hold hands. I mean, if you want to hold hands, you can. It's just whatever you have faith for. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were linked together in the various aspects of our battles with the enemy? A farmer lost his daughter in a high wheat field, and for three days, they were trying to find her. And when they finally found her, she was still warm, but she was dead. And the way they found her was almost immediately because someone suggested that we grab hands and walk through the, through the wheat field. And within minutes of grabbing hands, they found her lifeless body. And a photographer took a picture of him holding her in his arms, tears streaming down his face. And the caption underneath the picture was what he said. If only we had held hands sooner. What would happen if we would just grab one another? I loved it when you called us to pray for someone with their hands lifted. But there's a moment in our journey when we got to say to one another, and it may sound corny. It may sound like it's made up. It may sound religious. But we need to be able to say to one another, make it a mantra for the, for the next two weeks. When somebody says, well, I don't know, just say, God's got this. So remember what that guy from America said, God's got this. He's not telling you something you don't already know. He's just reminding you. Tell the person next to you, say, God's got this. You say, this what? Whatever this is, he's got it. Now let's just celebrate this, this reality. God's got this. He holds you in the hollow of his hand. There's nothing about you that he doesn't know. There's nothing about your future that he doesn't know. There's nothing about whatever's going on in your past or present. He already knows it. He's got it. Close your eyes. Say, Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and your loving kindness. I thank you for my brother and sister on either side of me 
that you've called us together to war together, that where two or three are touching and agreeing on any one thing, you're there. And as our brother said earlier, wherever you are present, so is power. And so we rely on that power. And we make this declaration that we will stand in faith and believe you for every promise that you've made. In Jesus' awesome and powerful name. And everybody, you're going to use your outside voice and you're going to shout amen. Go ahead.